Let's see if I remember how to do this. This morning we continue our series in the book of Colossians. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. Um, I've been keeping tabs on your sermons, and they've been pretty good. So you haven't been lacking there, I'll tell you that. And obviously you're not lacking in music. So um, good on you. Todd, thanks for sharing. Nielsen's done a great job. How about John Bent? That guy is pretty knowledgeable. I'm like, I listen to him, and I'm like, oh, I should have spent some time with him uh, learning about the Bible. Um, I'm going to be in Colossians 2, 16 through 20, and before I get into that, I just want to say thanks. Um, thanks for your prayers for us. We're feeling them uh, in this transition. Um, new house, new school, uh, new church. So I, I know um, that you have been praying for us, have felt it, and um, still feel very loved by y'all. And so um, thank you so much for that. also want you to know we're praying for you. Um, I am praying on a daily basis as you are searching for uh, the next person to lead this congregation. Um, you are in a great, great position to find someone who wants to passionately follow Jesus with you and to lead you into the next chapter of ministry here in this town and in this church family. Um, your elders have done a great job. Uh, I saw the um, the, the opportunity come out um, this past week on the email. I thought that was really, really well done. And so please, if you know folks, send them to the elder board, send them to the search committee. Um, and I know that God has great plans in store for you. I also uh, know that this is like a little weird, isn't it? Like, it's a little weird. I was um, thinking about it this week and I was thinking about, okay, what's it going to feel like to be back at Big Sky Christian Fellowship and back with old familiar friends, I, I perceived that there would probably be a lot of emotions, um, things that still feel raw. Like some of you might be like, um, why don't you just go away, buddy? <laughs> um, um, like, like ripping a Band-Aid off too slowly or something like that. Um, but I also feel great amount of love here, to be honest with you. When I rolled into the office this morning, it kind of felt like I'd just been on vacation for a while. And, um, and we were back at it. Um, and so I was thinking about how does this, like, okay, what's the tension here and how am I going to deal with that? And, and then I started reading in our text and I thought about the context of what we're, what we're learning about. We're learning about a letter to a church um, in Colossia, a church that was um, planted and nurtured and ministered to by a man named Paul. Um, Paul had a deep love for this church, and yet he writes this letter. Why? Because he can't be with them. Because he's got other work to do. Because he's in other places doing other things. And he's got this deep sense of love and care for them. He wants the best for them. He wants them to stay centered on Christ. And yet there's these moments where he can't be with them. And I thought, what a, what a great way to embrace just the context of this passage. And the context of kind of where we're at. 
right? God has called us um, down to Bozeman, and I'll tell you right now, it is not boring. Um, I've had more meetings in like three weeks than I had in the last three years here at Big Sky Christian Fellowship. There is a lot to do, and I also feel um, incredibly sure that this is where I'm supposed to be, and this is where we're supposed to be, and God has called us to, to that. Um, and yet I still have this deep love for you, and I, so I feel some of maybe the tension that Paul even felt when he was doing ministry in other places with other people, and yet he still loved and wanted to instruct and care for um, the people that he had been entrusted with for a season of his life. So that's how we're going to tackle this, and we're going to talk about one area today specifically, the area of legalism. Christians historically never have problems with legalism, so I'm not sure why we're going to talk about that, but let's get after it. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, therefore, I'm building off of what Todd taught on last week, because we shouldn't be distracted, but we should be singularly focused on Jesus because of this. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are just a shadow of the things that are that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow." Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch these rules, which have to do with things that are, um, that are all discontinued. Er- Uh, destined to perish with with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. That's as far as we'll read this morning. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow Along. Here's the big idea this morning. Simple, big idea. And it is this. Because of all the things you have learned about so far in this series, because you are mature in Christ, because you are a new creation, because you're not called to distraction, but that you're called to be, to be centered on Christ, because of that, the big idea is this. You need to leave legalism behind. You need to leave legalism behind. When you begin to passionately follow after Jesus, I think sometimes we think, oh, everything's just going to change. It's going to be fine. And, and, and uh, it's just going to be a whole new way of life. I won't fall into my old habits and patterns. But then you wake up and you realize there's some of the same stuff is still there. It's just maybe transformed in some way or another, but you're still struggling. 
And I think there's two easy pitfalls that we fall into as followers of Christ. One of those pitfalls is licensure or the license to sin. So it goes something like this. I have been given grace and so nobody should judge me and so I can do whatever I want, right? More sin, more grace, all right? So just I'm going to live it up and I'm just going to allow grace to abound and you live in this sense of licensure. Like I have a license to sin, right? And I think there's there's this, I've been given grace and that there's this temptation for Christians to go, well, now that I've been given grace, I just don't feel bad about my sins anymore. I just go, oh, I feel I'm okay, right? I think there's another temptation though. And that temptation is legalism. So we got licensure over here, the other temptation, which I think is more frequently uh, um, embraced by followers of Christ is legalism. So licensure and legalism, legalism being bound to the law, being saying, this is how we should live, and this is what we should do, and this is how we should talk, and these are the things we shouldn't drink, and these are the things we shouldn't eat, and we'll follow the rules. We'll be bound to the legal Rules, legalism. And Jesus doesn't invite us into licensure. By the way, um, Nielsen's going to be speaking on licensure next week. He's going to be talking about how it still matters that we have sin in our life and we deal with it, right? So we don't live a life where we just say, oh, I can do whatever I want, right? We also don't live over here in legalism land. What Jesus wants to say is come here to the center and live in liberty, Live in freedom, not in legalism, not in licensure, but in the middle here in freedom and liberty, freedom in Christ. And so the first thing that he wants us to understand is in order for us to get to liberty is that we need to deal with legalism, legalism. And I want to deal with three traits of legalism with our time together this morning as I as we look at this passage. So first, trait of legalism. Because you might be sitting there going, I'm not legalistic, Pastor Brian. Good on you. Let's find out. Okay? <laughs> Three traits of legalism. Number one, judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. Once again, something that Christians are never known for. It says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. In their context, um, we're seeing what's, what's being unveiled to us throughout this letter is that there's some people that are going around and they're teaching certain things. They're teaching, hey, these are the things that are okay to do, and these are not the things that are okay to do, and you need to follow this certain way of living or else you're not really following Jesus. You're not really going to be saved by Christ if you don't follow these certain ways. And, so, and, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, don't, don't allow yourself to be judged by these people. You need to run away from judgmentalism. And, and we were having this conversation this week with some friends of ours. Uh, see, Lori and I went to school in this little town, Sioux Center, Iowa. Anybody ever been to Sioux Center, Iowa? Exactly. Oh, no way. You have? You've been to Sioux Center? Oh, I, I kind of, you Sioux Falls. You're close, right? Sioux Center. You've been to Sioux Center? For real. Have you ever been to Hull? Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Hull, Iowa. We were talking about our time living there. We were in a small Christian college there in Hull, Iowa. If you want to know more about it, ask Matt, because apparently he knows Hull, Iowa. And um, 
And one of the interesting things about whole Iowa is that it's a very, it's a very Dutch place. A lot of Dutch ancestry, Dutch history there. Uh, a college that's associated with the Dutch Reformed Church in America. Um, several colleges actually in that frame of, of education. Um, and because of that, there's kind of a joke that there's a Reformed Church on every corner. And there, and there kind of is. There's like first Reformed Church, second Reformed Church, third Reformed Church, and then there's first Christian Reformed Church, second Christian Reformed Church, third. This isn't even a joke. I'm like literally, there's Covenant uh, Christian Reformed Church, and there's Bethel Christian Reformed Church, and there's, and there's some other Christian Reformed and Reformed, and, and there's also different sects of that, and we were talking about this with some friends of ours that we went to college with. There's a, the Protestant Reformed who are, who are even more conservative than most Reformed people, and then on top of that all, there's the Netherlands Reformed. Okay? The Netherlands Reformed. And the Netherlands Reformed, if you go uh, to their service today, I'm not even sure if they call it a service. They probably got some holier word than that, right? You would see this. You would see men sitting on this side, and you would see women and children sitting on this side. You would hear no emotion. I would never get to preach there, ever, right? Um, you would see on this side, on this side with all the men, they'd be dressed to the nines, right? Suit, tie, everything. On this side, you would see bonnets, head coverings for the women, and dresses down to the floor. They're not supposed to have TVs, so they hide them in... The, this is why people have armoires, honestly, okay? Armoires. So they hide them in their TVs, and, the, and their kids like party harder than anybody else. They do. It's true. Nobody parties like a Netherlands reform kid. I'm just saying. I'm not worried about them seeing this or hearing this on the internet because they're not allowed to do that either, which is why I'm picking on them. And I think it's easy for us to judge them, isn't it? It's easy for us to go, are you kidding me? Like, where in Scripture do you, like, what are you talking about? How do you, how do you see that in Scripture? How do you, how, like, they believe in headship so much so, like male headship, that they believe if the male doesn't have a vision of Jesus and it's ver not verified by the elders, the rest of the family is going to be damned. Honestly. And for us, it's like, wow, come on, you guys. That's ridiculous. And it's super easy for us to judge them, right? It's super easy for us to go, wow, come on. What are you talking about? But even as we do that, isn't that interesting? Often when we make statements about how judgmental people are, we're making a judgment statement ourselves. Like we, like we say, how can they be so narrow-minded and judgmental, which in itself is a judgment statement? Do you ever fall in this trap? Do you ever fall into the trap of thinking about that Christian or that person who needs Jesus a little more than you do? If they would just follow Jesus a little bit more like you follow Jesus, then maybe their life would be better. Do you ever fall into this trap? Do you ever fall into this 
temptation. See, Paul was dealing with something that we deal with today in our age, in our day. We are, we are those who are prone to judgment. We're prone to judging other people. Maybe not by what they eat or a religious festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. But we've got plenty of things that we don't mind judging others on. And Paul wants to warn them. Don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental. Number two. Another trait of legalism is this, false humility. False humility. Verse 18 says this, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So apparently in this context, in this day and age, there's some false humility going on. We would call this the humble brag. Okay? Like, you know the humble brag? Somebody says something like this, Well, I don't mean to brag, but... Right? And then you know what's coming, right? They're going to brag. They're like, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but beep, beep. Right? It's that kind of person who, by definition, when they tell you they're pretty humble, means they're actually not because they're bragging about being humble. And you, you, by definition, can't be humble if you talk too much about being humble. Right? Apparently, um, there's these folks that are practicing these extreme forms of religion. These very extreme forms of religion and holding this up and saying, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means uh, to be on part of the in crowd. This is what it means to practice religion correctly. And so that what they were doing was they were practicing false humility. They were saying, man, I am, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm working so hard for Jesus and, and, and you know, I, I, I take no pride in that, but let me tell you for a few minutes about how much I'm doing for Jesus and how much it's costing me and, and how people don't like me because of it and on and on and on. And Paul is saying, don't practice false humility. False humility is just another form of Legalism. Paul would encourage us towards real humility, true humility, honest humility. One of the books I'm reading right now is uh, written by Patrick Lencioni. Three traits of a team player. Three traits of a team player. I've been handed a very large team, like right now. Um, and, and so I'm starting to manage a whole bunch of different folks. Um, and so it's a little more complicated sort of organizational structure. Um, there's an org chart and all these things that I don't really know how to read yet. I'm learning. Um, so I'm reading books like this. And, and Patrick Lencioni says there are three traits to a great team player. And the traits are this, that they are humble, that they are hungry, and that they are smart. Humble, hungry, and smart. He says the best team players, the people you want on your team, the people you want uh, as a part of whatever entity you're a part of, whatever organization you're a part of that wants to move forward, you need to be filled with a bunch of people that are humble, hungry, and smart. And what's interesting about Patrick Lencioni's book is it's not a Christian book. It's not a Christian book at all. Patrick Lencioni has a background in faith and is a follower of Jesus. But even from a non-Christian perspective, he understands that the first trait he wants to see in somebody that he wants to be on his team is that they would be humble. That they would be truly humble. In, in this book, Patrick Lencioni quotes C.S. Lewis. 
He says this, C.S. Lewis says this, humility, true humility, is not thinking less of oneself. Rather, thinking of oneself less. Worth repeating. Humility is not thinking less of oneself, rather thinking of oneself less. Paul is encouraging them to not practice false humility. He's saying to them, hey, think about yourself less. You you don't need to think about all that you're doing so much. We live in a world that's consumed with this, right? There's this constant chatter about what are you doing in your life? Are you making something of yourself? What do you need for you? And what Paul is saying is, don't practice that. That's that's legalism. It's this weird form of legalism that even Christians fall into where we say, hey, we're going to be super duper humble. We're going to be the best, most humble people ever. And by saying that, we're disqualifying ourselves from true humility, thinking of ourselves Last. So, number one trait, judgmentalism. Number two, false humility. Number three, trait of legalism is human striving. So, the first two I just touched on, I actually think that those are probably something maybe some of us deal with a little bit less. But this third one, I think, gets at us. Okay? So, lean in here. Human striving, verse 23. Such regulations. So he's talking about the regulations that are being imposed. And we don't know all the details of these regulations, but they're these religious, rigorous regulations. Such regulations, indeed, have the appearance of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, there's that word again, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Paul is saying human striving is legalism. And I think that this is the hardest one. I think this slips into um, the church's um, like sermons and songs and theologies on a regular basis. And it goes something like this. If I just work hard enough, then Jesus is going to love me. If I can just pray more, if I can just go to church a little more, if I can just read the Bible X amount of times, if I fast X amount of times and people know that I do that, or if I'm, I'm just super duper holy, then maybe I can save myself. And when you meet people like this, right? The mask is, yeah, they're probably really holy, right? If you talk to somebody and they say, I pray three hours a day, you're like, dang, really? Like, wow. It's like, I got stuff to do three hours, right? But, but we can have, that can have the appearance of holiness. And I'm not saying it's not holy, right? I think there's probably people who pray three, hour, three hours a day who are very holy. And they probably don't tell anybody about it, right? But what he's saying here is that they have their appearance of wisdom with self-imposed worship, humility, and harsh treatment of the body, but it actually lacks any restraint. It doesn't actually restrain them at all. They've just, they've just tied themselves to something else. They've tied themselves to, to um, human striving. The self-help industry in America is an $11 billion industry. 
$11 billion. You want to make some money? Write a self-help book, right? The next big diet that's going to change your life, right? Come up with that video on YouTube and watch your followers grow, right? Self-help is such a huge, huge industry, and yet we are depressed and lonely. More than we've ever been in the history of America. Ben Sass, um, he, he's a senator, I believe, from Nebraska, wrote a book called Them. Wonderful read. And he talks about how um, there's some huge problems in America. And he doesn't start with where most politicians would start. You would think well, a politician would start with politics. Instead, here's what he cites. He cites um, that the American lifespan expectancy is lowering currently. For the first time in a very, very long time. 2016, this started, 17, 18, and now into 19. And there are a couple factors in there that are driving this. The number one factor being suicide. People are lonely. They feel alone. They feel isolated. They feel sad. And social media somehow isn't helping them. Even though they're the most connected generation, they're actually the most disconnected generation. And so there's an $11 billion industry saying, we can help you. But for some reason, it's not helping. See, humanism, I believe... I believe humanism is the most dangerous thing in our world right now. I think it's the most dangerous thing in the church. I think it's the most dangerous thing in your life. I think, I think it's the most dangerous thing in my life. And here's how humanism goes. Humanism goes, humanism goes I need to fix myself. Nietzsche, that Nietzsche was right, that God is dead. And in that void, we have said humans can fix it. We can do better. We can solve the problem. If we just got smarter, if we, if we, ju- if we just thought about it a little bit more, if we just were more loving towards one another, then we could, we could fix this. Which sounds really nice, right? All you need is love. That's a great song, right? And we love that song. We're like, yes, if humans could just love each other, love each other, love each other, love each other, we can fix it. And what we've done is replaced God with love. We've said, we've said, wow, there's that verse that says God is love. And, and we've replaced God. What we've said is, no, 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 we've got this. If we can just figure this out, then we've got this and we can fix this. And this is just human striving. This is what every other religion in the world has to offer as well. Right? Amen. Buddhism, you just got to get enlightened more. So you just, you just got to get more focused. You got to figure it out. You just you got to put all, everything away. You just got to focus in on yourself and you're going to reach this state of nirvana. Right? Um, I'm, I'm, there are so many religions. So many religions out there. That just say, if you can just be a little better, then maybe the gods will accept you. That is not Christianity. Christianity is a free gift of Jesus Christ. It's not legalism. It's not licensure. It's liberty and freedom in Christ. So here's the question, reflective question. Where am I tempted towards legalism? 
Where am I tempted toward legalism? I, I, like, I want you to have a reflective moment right now. Reflect on these. A am I judgmental? Am I a judgmental person? Do I sit around going, if those people would just think more like me, then the world would be a better place, right? Is, is that what you're struggling with? Is there this sense of false humility in your life where, where you're like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good Christian. I don't mind telling people about that. Is that something that you, that you struggle with? Or is it third, that you strive that, you, that your whole, that your faith sometimes struggles and is built upon this facade that if you could just fix yourself, then Jesus would finally love you. Then Jesus would finally hear your prayers. Then Jesus would finally let you into heaven. That when you got to the pearly gates, that Peter would say, hey, what should I do to let you in? And you'd have a good enough list to get in. What is most difficult for you? Where do you struggle? And then I want to offer this to you, the antidote for it. For whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're struggling with, however legalism kind of rises up in your life, here's the antidote from Paul. He says, stay connected to Christ. Stay connected to Christ. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 18. Verse 18. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual, unspiritual mind. And then this. They have lost connection with the head, that is Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God calls it to grow. Do you want the antidote for legalism, the antidote for these things in your life? Stay connected to Jesus. The body grows from him. We were talking about this this morning in worship practice. We are nourished through him. We don't nourish ourselves. We're nourished through him. He holds us together. He, he takes our ligaments and sinews. Paul wants to, you to understand that this is about a living body that we're a part of, that God nurtures that body. That, that you don't have to think about how can I fix it. You just need to focus on the head where all things converge, where all things are brought together, where all things are made new. Amen. Jesus said it this way. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can be connected to you. I thank you that it's not through our striving I thank you that it's not through personal pursuit. I thank you that it's not through what we do that we're made holy and new, but that it's just by being connected to you, the vine. God, there are areas in us that need to be pruned. There are areas where you, where you need to cut off branches. And then there are areas where you need to graft in new branches. There are areas where you need to remind us of who you have made us to be. 
who our true identity is in you, Jesus. So God, I, I pray simply that we would be connected to you. I pray that everyone in this room would find new levels of connection with you. They would hear your voice and respond to you even in this week in all new ways. And God, I pray for this church family that in the midst of this season of transition, God, that you would hold them together as you have promised to do, that you would be the head, that you would cause all things to come together and grow as you see them fit to grow. Thank you that that is where our strength is. Thank you that is where we can put our trust. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the center. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.